Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 34. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, Get me this young woman as a wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. But Hamor spoke with them. The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife and make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourselves so you shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father, and spoke deceitfully, because he had defiled Dinah their sister. We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. So the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of their city. These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us to be one people. If every male among us is circumcised, as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city heeded Hamor and Shechem, his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, and their donkeys, what was in the city, and what was in the field, and all their wealth. 
all their little ones and their wives they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. Should he treat our sister like a harlot? Wow. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. But why is this story in the Bible? If I was a sugar stick preacher, you know what a sugar stick preacher is? One who preaches his favorite passages, we would never cover this one. But folks, on our journey through Genesis, here it is. We have to look at it and learn what there is for us to learn from it. And it is applicable to our day. It's a story of revenge and anger, paying back. That kind of stuff's happening in our day. We're studying the life of Jacob, who cheated his brother out of his birthright and blessing and fled for his life and has been gone for 20 years. And now he comes back and reconciles with his brother. Wonderful story. But he didn't complete his assignment from the Lord. He settles down, I guess because he's limping. He found a good place, bought some land, and set up camp outside a city known as Shechem, where the character in this story is named after the city, or the city's named after him. It says, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah... Jacob had two wives and two maidservants and 11 sons. A 12th one's going to be born in the next chapter. And a daughter named Dinah, which ironically, her name means justice. So he'd been married for 14 years. He worked for six. So he's been gone for 20 years. So his oldest son is 19 and then just stair-stepping down. This girl could have been as old as six on their journey, and if they lived here in Shechem for 10 years, she could be 16 years old. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. She's surrounded by boys. Can you imagine having 11 brothers? And there's no sisters mentioned. So she wants some peers, right? She's going to go out and have some... How many ladies enjoy ladies' fellowship? She's had enough male fellowship in her life. And in her teenage innocence, she goes out to meet some other teenagers. And here comes trouble. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. So this is wrong in so many ways. It's a rape. It's a crime. Even back in those primitive times, it's, it's really bad. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman. He lusted, and then he fell in love, I guess, and spoke kindly to the young woman after violating her. 
So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. Now he, his dad's the leader, he's a prince, he's spoiled rotten. Dad, get me this young woman. Now, Hamor, Hamor, if you have donkeys, the male donkeys are called Hamor. He's named Jackass. It's the name in the story. Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now, his sons were with the livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. What kind of fathering is that? Just stayed calm. Then Hamor, Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done, a thing that happens in our day. And if the guy's a spoiled rich boy, he gets some good lawyers, and we see it. They get by. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife, and make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us, and take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. He's trying to help them see personal benefit in letting this one slide. Nobody's asking Dinah. I mean, this is such great injustice. Nobody's asking her if she would like to be this guy's wife. Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry, and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me, but give me the young woman as a wife. Pimp out your sister to me. <laughs> Let this slide. Daddy's going to foot the bill. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father and spoke deceitfully. Wonder why. It kind of runs in the blood, doesn't it? Because he defiled Dinah, their sister. If she was the only daughter, don't you know she was special to them? And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people." But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. So the young man did not delay to do the thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city, and spoke with the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives, and let us give them our daughters. 
Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. So they had some deception going on. If you think taxes are a problem, what if the government requires circumcision? <laughs> if you've balked at the thought of masks, it's pretty mild compared to this. All the men say amen. Verse 24, And all who went out of the gate of the city heeded Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. So the gate, I guess, was the only way in and out of the city, and unless you wanted circumcised, you just stayed home. <laughs> but your gardens were out of the city limits, and your cattle, your business. So it says they did all the men. Now it came to pass on the third day, three days later, when they were in pain, probably when the fevers were hitting, inflammation was in its, at its highest. I have a friend that was in the hospital uh, for a personal surgery, not a circumcision, but to deal with another issue. And he was close by in the proximity of a man that was in there to who was circumcised. And he said, man, that guy would scream in agony if the sheet fell down in the wrong place or if he had to get up and move. It was just torture. When God instituted circumcision, he told Abraham, this is the sign of our covenant, and you shall circumcise every male child on the eighth day. And science has discovered on the eighth day of a child's life is a prime time for a surgery like that. Uh, blood clotting agents in the blood are 10% higher than they are at any other time in a male's life. And so for a man, it's like major surgery. So these guys are very vulnerable. So on the third day when they were in pain, to say the least, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, son number two and number three, Dinah's brothers each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. Now, archaeologists say there may have been 200 people in the city at this time. So, over 30 men just dead. They killed Hamor and Shechem, his son. The big donkey and the little donkey with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came. Now, these are the other brothers. They came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, and their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field, and all their wealth. All their little ones and their wives they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses." You reckon they did the same thing Shechem had done? Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious or making me stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. He's thinking about himself. I mean, these boys are included in that, right? 
He's taking it all personal. Me, 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 me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? This is what anger does, is it blinds us to the way things really are and makes us mentally ill. A lot of these mass shootings, the guys are quoted of saying, everybody dies. They're on a path of revenge. They're mad about something, and innocent people are going to pay for the alleged crime that was committed against them. We see it in the streets of the city. Cities are set on fire because of what happened in another city. That's what anger does. It makes us crazy. And these boys, the oldest one maybe was 29, on down to teenagers. Their adolescence still was helping them make decisions, and it was terrible. They weaponized the sign of their covenant, circumcision. That was not why it was instituted. And then Jacob, the passive father, now becomes self-centered and fearful. What a story. It happens in our day. Now, why is this in the Bible? Well, the Bible tells it like it is. Our history books have been totally whitewashed. In fact, that's part of our problem. The whole effort to revise our history books is because we have left things out. The injustice of that. And so I recommend that you read some books with other viewpoints, not the ones that were written in the last five years, but before there was an agenda. Just find out the rest of the story that you didn't learn in school. Why? So you can pray more effectively, so you can have compassion for people that are locked into anger, woundedness, whatever. It's the truth, folks. The scriptures don't have to be corrected, but our history books are under attack. I don't think they should leave out some things that they, that they want to leave out, but I think they need to include some things that have been left out by our forefathers. The next verse. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. This, I believe, was God's will all along. Go to Bethel. Bethel was a place he had gone when he first fled home. That first night, all he had was a clothes on his back and a stick. He had been a bad young man and had to leave home with nothing. Saw his mama for the last time. Didn't know it and left. But God in his grace extended a revelation to him while he was asleep using a stone for a pillow, showed him a ladder that descended from heaven to earth and angels ascending and descending on it. And God's at the top of the ladder and speaks to him and makes some incredible promises to him that parallel promises made to his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which means the house of God. In chapter 28, it goes on to say that he made a vow at Bethel. He said, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, 
so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house, and I will give him a tenth of everything I get. If God does this for me, I'll do this for him. He had done that, but there's no record he ever went to his dad's house. Now, he reconciled with his brother, the one he'd stolen, but he deceived his dad. Don't you think he owed his dad a trip? Didn't do it. So 20 years later, the Lord visits him again and tells him it's time to go back home. He says, I am the God of Bethel. Remember that revelation? Remember the night I visited you? That's me where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Remember the vow you made? Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. Chances are the calamity of Genesis 34 may not have happened had he heeded his own vow and the Lord reminded him of that vow. When it's all over, here comes the Lord. Hey, get to Bethel. It's not like it's that far from Shechem about less than 30 miles, I think. And he didn't do it. Settled in Shechem. Made his kids vulnerable. When we do not obey the Lord, it affects more people than just us. When we've experienced a great spiritual victory, we need to be on guard. He had experienced a great spiritual victory, reconciling with Esau. What a miracle. Well, I'm glad I got that done. Now let's just sit down and chill out. And um, this was a form of self-centeredness that caused some chaos. I'd like to talk to you about what to do in times of injustice. But let's go ahead and read on. The Lord tells him to go to Bethel, and so in preparation, Jacob says to his household, verse 2 of chapter 35, says to his household and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. So there was idolatry in the household. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob's fears were unfounded. God kept them at bay. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him, and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel. Originally he had named it Bethel, house of God. Now he's naming it El Bethel, the God of the house of God. Because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried below Bethel under the Tirbent tree. So the name of that place is called Alan Bakuth. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he had come from Padan Aram 
and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings will come from your body. The land which I give Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. And to your descendants, after you, I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would understand this story in such a way that it impacts our lives personally for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. What to do in times of injustice. This was a time of injustice. To take Dinah and violate her against her will, to disrespect her family and set them up like this, this was terrible. So what do you do? We live in times of injustice, do we not? We live in times where people will hold you responsible for something you never did. You're, you're innocent. A policeman in Seattle can do a misdeed, and the policeman in Granbury get blamed. How dumb can you get and still breathe? But that's the day in which we live. That's the height of prejudice. So what do we do during times like these? Do we become vengeful? What to do in times of injustice? First of all, we'll start with what not to do in times of injustice. We do not become too passive. You don't jump every time somebody jumps, but you do move, but don't be too passive. I read a story the other day of a man in Germany on a train was going to Hamburg and he saw a street person get on the train, an old man, a beggar type. And uh, three teenage boys got on the train, and they were drunk, and they began to bully the old man. So this man, who was a believer, prayed, Lord, what do I do? What, what do I do? I don't want to get beat up, but I can't just sit here and do nothing. So he jumped up, got between the man and the boys, and said, Hans, Hans, where have you been? I have not seen you in years, Hans. Come sit with me. And he picked him up, and they carried across, and the teenage boys just sat down. I have a friend who's an international evangelist. I mean a true evangelist, a walking revival. He was in a van in Eastern Europe, by the airport and saw a family of Jews, I think this was in the Ukraine, or maybe not, family of Jews with a cart and everything they owned on this cart. He could tell they were Jews by the way they were dressed, and he knew what was happening. They were going to make Aliyah to Israel. They were going to go. And uh, these soldiers, these young soldiers were bullying them, badgering them, knocking their stuff off the cart, and trying to prevent them from going. And my friend said, stop the van right here. And he jumped out and began to act like a crazy person. 
to let saliva run out of his mouth and totally distracted the soldiers and the family got into the airport. So don't be passive. Be active. Do something. Do something. Don't wait for your boys to get home. Do not become vengeful. Why? It's not biblical. When we're vengeful, we're trying to be God. We're eating the forbidden fruit. Leviticus 19.18, this is in the Torah. The law says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine and recompense. Payback belongs to the Lord. David in Psalm 94 said, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs. O God, to whom vengeance belongs. Shine forth. <laughs> he was ready for the Lord to show up and do something. Proverbs 24, 7 says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles lest the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from him. Just stay out of God's way. Isaiah 34, 4, Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Nahum opens with God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. Go to the New Testament. Hebrews 10, verse 30. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jesus Christ said, in Luke 6, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. Verse 32, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Verse 35, but love your enemies, do good and lend hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will men heap into your bosom. That verse right there is often quoted at offering time, but I think that is taking it out of context. In the context, I think it includes offering, but it's everything about our life. It's living a life of generous mercy, vengeance free. Paul, oh man, he hammered on this. Peter hammered on this. I'll give you one more. Romans 12, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. 
If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jacob's boys were overcome by evil. And they wound up doing the same thing. What not to do in times of injustice, do not become selfish. Jacob's response was, you guys are going to make it hard for me. I just have a small family. I just, he didn't have a small family. <laughs> he was concerned about his own skin. What about Dinah? Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. What about her? <laughs> I believe he'd just grown spiritually cold. He'd relaxed. He'd lived under, lived under stress all those years, had that great victory reconciled with his brother, and he was just chilling out in the promised land, not raising his kids. What to do in times of injustice? Return to the house of God. Well, I already do that anyway. Well, we're living in unjust times. Let's say if we were living in times of justice, what do you do? You don't leave God's house. God says to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Live there. Stay there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. What to do in times of injustice? Return to his commissioning. What has he told you to do? He said, in chapter 31, before he ever left Padam Aran to head back home, he said, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of the land, and return to the land of your family. Go and do it. And he stopped short. Return to your own godly commitments. What vows have you made to the Lord in your life? Remind yourself of them. Injustice will blind you, will get you off track, will derail, derail your own commitments and set you on a quest for something that's just going to lead to a world of disappointment. It could lead you to having to call somebody, asking them to come bail you out for something vengefulness has caused. Return to godly commitments. When he... Name that place Bethel. He made a commitment to the Lord. He made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, I'll come back to this place. I'll come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Like his grandfather, he pledged to be a tither. Isn't that cool? Before the law, what to do in times of injustice? Return to God-pleasing devotion. What in your life and household is not pleasing to the Lord? Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Put new clothes on. 
We're changing our way of living. We're going to bury these idols. We know Rachel had some that she stole from her daddy, remember? And return to the God of the house of God. He built an altar there and called the place El Bethel. So by returning to the house of God, we're not saying make a God out of church. Make a God out of Christian community. As important as that is, there's only one God. Amen? And, <clears throat> but if you love him, you're going to love his people. So the two go hand in hand. Return to the house of God. Return to the God of the house of God. If I don't love you who I can see, how can I love God who I can't see? John wrote that. And finally, return to God's covenant promises. What has he promised you? What has he promised me that we've gotten our eyes off of because of injustice, because of cultural chaos, because of conspiracies? May 4th has come and gone. That refers to one of the conspiracies. Get back in track with his promises. And the Lord reminded him of his promises. He said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, which means deceiver or swindler. But Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Do not be deceived by the media. There is some real estate in the Middle East that God gave a man named Abraham and a man named Isaac, and a man named Jacob. Let's just raise our hands right now and pray for that land. Lord, we pray for Israel. Father, we pray that in these times of injustice, you would give their leaders wisdom on what to do, Lord, to defend themselves, Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, you'd open the eyes of the world to see the foolish scandals and schemes that are trying to be pawned off on them. Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, Lord, for their security. We pray, Lord, for their purpose in your operations on the earth would be fulfilled in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, I'd like to end on one of the main points because... <clears throat> If I preach too many points, there's no penetration. You know, you can lay on a bed of nails, but nobody can lay on one nail. So what is that? It's a call to return to his covenant promises. We're going to celebrate communion today, which is a reminder that the Lord himself instituted to remind us of his covenant promises. Here is Matthew's recording from the LUMO project of this institution called the Lord's Supper. While they were eating, Jesus took bread 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We live in light of the covenant that brought us the forgiveness of sins. Those things we inherited and those things we have done that separate us from God and from one another and even from our enemies. This unbreakable covenant Jesus made as God and man with his Father for us. Paul's revelation of this he recorded in his First letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, that's injustice, right? Took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. He did this knowing the injustice in his life would increase to the level that these guys would all abandon him. Peter would deny him. Yet he made the covenant for us because he's remedying the sin problem. This is what we have in times of injustice. We have a sin problem. Do we not? (laughs) Sin blinds us. Sin makes us crazy. But Jesus came to remedy the situation in such a way that it would break our hearts and make us want to repent. Bye. 
Respond to 